This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a film criticism show and podcast. Top of the evening to you. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me from the comfort of her home. Oh, no, actually, no, that was the original thing. Joining me from the studio is my trusty co-captain, Flick Ford. Hello, Paul. I've escaped. I mean, I I do have a permit to escape, but uh, yeah, I'm in the studio tonight, which is bloody wonderful. I've got to say, there is so many Radiothon decorations here it is a complete joy to be here. So, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. What radio Christmas. Uh, and joining <laughs> us uh, <laughs> joining us after her Radiothon cameo last week. But this is her first show as a reviewer in five months. Is it? Did Whoa. you do the math? <laughs> I did the math. It's five months almost Thanks. to the like to the day. It was the, uh, the 5th of April. So oh. I need you in my life, Paul, because I don't know where I am ever at any time or what I've done, but that's really nice to know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't recall the last time I was in here. It sounds like you, ne- you need a PA. I do. Um, <laughs> that voice familiar to Triple R listeners is Lisa Kovacevic. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's nice oh, to be here. It's our absolute pleasure. <laughs> it's nice Lovely to flex to a different, different muscle, you know. The reviewing muscle is is getting a flex tonight. (laughs) I thought you meant the the muscle that you used to get up off the That one, off the the couch, (laughs) watching Netflix, that one too. Yeah, I made it into the studio tonight too. (laughs) With Melbourne cinemas continuing to be closed due to lockdown episode six, Return of the Delta, we're going to spotlight the seventh edition of the Irish Film Festival of Australia, which is going ahead online for the second consecutive year showcasing a dozen new features from the Emerald Isle. First, we howl at the moon for Tom Moore and Ross Stewart's Oscar-nominated animated fantasy Wolfwalkers. Then we'll dig up something we shouldn't and unleash a vampiric terror with Chris Boar's Boys from County Hell. And we'll join Gabriel Byrne on a Leonard Cohen-inspired late-life crisis in Matt Bissonette's Death of a Ladies' Man. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Also, listeners, you better believe it's Radiothon time here at Triple R. The pandemonium has been hard on everyone over the last 18 months. So you can imagine how our community radio station, which relies on donations, subscriptions, and business sponsorships, to survive has been traveling so many of you our wonderful listeners have come out in force to support us during last radiothon and april amnesty but with businesses still closed and struggling due to the ongoing covid forced shenanigans we still need your help to keep the good ship triple r afloat after all through thick and thin we are your station so if you're able Please show your love by donating and or subscribing to Triple R. You can even donate and subscribe to this very show. Just head to rrr.org.au, click the buttons to donate or, or subscribe, and give what you can. 
And if you do it during the Radiothon this month, anytime before October 6, you can go into the running to win a bounty of awesome prizes from food to wine to books and movie tickets to records and bikes and furnitures and festivals once they return. There is truly something for everyone. So please, if you can, show your friendly community radio station some love. Head to rrr.org.au to donate and subscribe. Hashtag COVID protocols. <laughs> so shall we uh, take a trip to, uh, uh, to to Galway, I believe? <laughs> Is Carl giving a nod there? <laughs> to be sure. <laughs> no, see, I wasn't going to do that. So what? We should thank you. Why? I saved your life. Saved me? You bit me. Well, you kicked me in the gob enough times. Well, you were attacking me. I was trying to get you out of that trap. And anyway, you came into my woods. Your woods? They're our woods. Your wolves are attacking the woodcutters. And the sheep. They should be staying closer to the town. And so should you, townie. Wolfwalkers is the third feature film directed by Tom Moore and the first from co-director Ross Stewart. In a time of superstition and magic, when wolves are seen as demonic and nature and evil to be tamed, a young apprentice hunter, Robin, comes to Ireland with her father to wipe out the last pack of wolves. But when she saves a wild native girl, her, their friendship leads her to discover the world of the wolfwalkers and transform her into the very thing her father is tasked to destroy. Flick, did, you, did this leave you howling with delight or howling with other emotions? <laughs> Actually, you know, to be honest, I was, I was kind of like... Howling with tears during this. Mm. I don't know how I, uh, how you guys <coughs> felt, but I um I I was surprised by how affected I was by this. I I kind of I suppose when I was looking at our week's viewing, um, I was kind of thinking, oh okay, you have like an, an expectation of what a, a child's animated film is going to be like. Um, this really surprised me. It got under my skin, and I think there's something really powerful about this film. Um, the animation style, just as a starting point, is really quite unusual. It kind of reminded me of a lot of the animation I watched as a child sort of after school. And it's not an animation uh, style that I usually like, but I got really swept up into it. And I think there's a really beautiful poetry to this style of animation. It kind of works so well with um, a transition that happens when the wolf walkers go into the body of the wolf and it was there that this animation style just came to life. It has a real painterly um, uh, aesthetic to it. So the, the you can sort of see, and I, by that I mean like you can see all the texture and the detail in, in the brush strokes of the animation um, and I was just kind of... I suppose just swept away by the artistry of this film. I, I didn't actually know that it had been nominated for an Oscar and I think it is so deserving. Um, yeah, this really this really surprised me. I think this is my favourite film of the week actually that we've watched. I was I loved the characters. I love seeing like strong young girls on screen and we've got two of them in this film and they have wonderful kind of um, – they're not frenemies because I think that has different connotations, but they've got, the, you know, they, they do fight a lot at the start and then they build this beautiful friendship. Um, and something else I noticed about all the films um, that we're going to be discussing this week, they all kind of have a father figure in them that is uh, haunting in some way. Um, so I kind of really enjoyed that um, this film explores being a parent 
through the children, not through the parent. And I, I think that that whole thing of the responsibility that the child then also has to the parent rather than the other way. So more so like them being seen as equals. And um, I just thought it was a very believable – I think they anchor this this animation to very believable characters and a very believable narrative. And I, I love the fact that I was reading about how it's based on yeah, – it's the third film on this um, – yeah, based on these um, – these folk, this folk, folklore and I was just like I now want to go back <laughs> and see the other two installments because this has just completely missed me by. Is it, are you the same Lisa? Had you heard about this? I, I hadn't heard about this film but I, I do know of the studio because I used to work in animation and um, look I'm probably going to hit the same points that you have. Yeah. Um, that this is a 2D studio, which there's not that many of. I mean, there's a lot of them, but that not that not of uh, not many that are working at this level that are you know getting nominated for Oscars yeah. and Baftas. And really, this studio, um, Cartoon Saloon, which is based in Kilkenny in Ireland, they've really earned their place among the heavyweights of animation. They can sit ha- easily alongside a Studio Ghibli now, mm. or a, even a Pixar, which, and you know, those studios, Pixar works predominantly in 3D. Studio Ghibli is your hand drawn. This is a hybrid and they've mm. really – if you go back – so I think in 2009 is when um, – I should I should pull it up actually. 2009 is when they um, released their first – I don't know if it was their first feature, um, but it was called The Secret of Kells and listeners can watch that on SBS On Demand oh, for really? any listeners in Australia. Yeah, um, that's that's available on SBS On Demand at the moment. Um, the, the other, that was – 2009, the other one, Song of the oh, Sea. Song of the Sea. I had heard of that one. Which is yeah. about Selkies, yeah. um, and yep. another, another um, Gaelic mythological figure. Mm. Um, yeah, but they've really evolved their style. And in mm. this film, I just feel like they've solidified it. And and what is working for them is that you with, with 2D animation, it's so um, – when I worked in it, it was so limiting. It's cheaper to, to, to work in and faster sometimes. Um, but what you lose – and what you sacrifice is that sort of human hand, that, that mm. the human touch. And I think that that's what audiences long for. And I know I do. I even think that 3D animation, although I marvel at it, um, I, I think that it, it sacrifices uh, the human hand, yeah. you know, for perfection. Yeah. Mm. And I think what we want is imperfection. That's where the mm. poetry is. That's where the artistry is. And this studio, I just think – I actually was so freaking blown away by it. I think mm. they've just they've just – achieve that um, matching of traditional illustration and artistry mm. merging with digital animation techniques. Mm. It's really modern, but it's also really ancient. Like yeah. this story feels modern and ancient. It's, yeah. it's a really, like you say, you know, having a central, strong central young female uh, girl at the heart of it. Somehow, I, when I was a kid, it was really hard to find that yes. content, yeah. you know, in books and in films. And I think you know, animators like Miyazaki and this studio here have done a wonderful job. Even a Pixar, like that, they're mm. they're put they have these like young, strong female protagonists, um, and it's it's a wonderful thing that that they this you know, and that predates me too as well. Yeah. Like they yeah. they were doing it early, and um, yeah, this this young the two young heroines in this film are marvelous. They are both fiery, yeah, um, <laughs> in different ways, di- as well. really different yeah. ways. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of. Um, 
oh, that book, Women Who Run With Wolves, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's a Jungian-based yeah. psychoanalytic thing. But um, but really what it's about is that um, wildness that exists yeah. in all female characters wanting to get out that shadow side. And I thought um, the, young, the young English girl in this film um, who's new to the town, who's new to Ireland, mm. um, she sort of is following the father, following the patriarchy at mm. the start of the film. And she's led into the woods, which is where we all go um, to explore our shadow material. And that's sort of um, revealed to her. And she's confronted with it, with this other character. And in in turn, she sort of discovers her wildness, her feminine Mm. energy, um, which is really what this whole thing is is sort of the film's about. I love that reading. Isn't it wonderful? (laughs) That is such a beautiful interpretation, though. And you have this this sleeping mother role as well. Like, it ties in so well. Oh, I missed that, Felipe. That's 100% Mm. right. It's... um, yeah, it's the the symbolism in this film is is beautiful. I watched it with my eight year old daughter, who was Aww, like you, so moved. Yeah. She was moved to tears many times. Yeah, and it so affected her. I wasn't sure how it would go because she's so used to looking at three D animation, like that's the um, the aesthetic that she's grown up with. Yeah. Um, so sometimes when I try to show her things like Spirited Away from Miyazaki yeah. in two thousand one. It takes her a little while to get into mm. the world because her she's not used to an, analysing that aesthetic. Um, somehow this film did it for her and she was mm. right in there. She got up at 7am the next morning to re-watch it. Oh, and, um, oh, wow. and that's really, yeah, that's a sign of a good film for, I, for a child. Yeah. I think something that they do with the 2D animation, and so good to have you on tonight to kind of do a deeper mm. dive into the animation because that's kind of what you know about, but mm. it's like... I was thinking things that stood out to me was the staging of the mise-en-scene, how they've got that. They create depth through the 2D, through these really kind of artistic framing choices where you sometimes have the two main characters at the forefront and then you have this beautiful patterned... um, they do a lot of aerial 2D, which oh, is just stunning. The, the like angles, yeah, I could rabbit yeah. on about this film. The <laughs> angles that they've chosen are really mm. interesting, really unique, and a lot of work because normally in this style of animation, you would have one, possibly two angles. They've gone. There's a there's a scene of a girl walking down a road and she's talking up to somebody on, who's sitting on the back yeah. of a cart, and you get you get a, a, um, a profile shot of that, mm. and in the background is a really abstract, um, flat I- image of sheep on a hill and they're really like quirky stylized yeah. creatures then they cut to a front up on of her looking down from the cart so you've got the pov of the character she's talking to yeah. and that background borrows from sort of comic book um, references, so it's really abstract yeah. and it is- expresses the emotion of the character and what's yeah. happening. Then there's one shot from behind. Every time you move the camera, you have to draw a new background for that yeah. angle, and they've gone to so much trouble. There's so much detail in this film, oh, and it's, and you just sort of miss it because it washes all yeah. over you. And the way, I mean, the way they treat things like fire, the way they mm. illustrate fire is just really incredibly artistic, incredibly poetic and beautiful. I can't really say much more than that. The way they illustrate spirit animals is is fabulous. But to me it's being able to see the um, hand-drawn preliminary sketches under the finished image of the character that really um, brings this film to life. And I was thinking actually another artistic thing they're borrowing from is the triptych sort of. um, They do that often for emotion, for very emotional scenes or climax 
climax mm. scenes yeah. where they've got that emotion. It actually creates an almost sometimes comic beat in scenes where they kind of have a sudden close-up with the triptych and it's like you get all the different angles of a particular tense moment. And it is a very intense film, I thought, and there's a lot of action in it. There is. Um, Paul, what did you think? Yeah, I thought this was, was thoroughly lovely. I was, um, I've heard a lot about how, how good this is and, and obviously I've heard of Cartoon Saloon. I do apologise um, earlier. I said Galway, it is Kilkenny. Um, yeah, Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea was nominated for an Oscar as well. Um, I So this is hybrid, you were saying. I, I thought it was purely hand-drawn and there was only no. like slight, very slight CG. Oh, look, well, I could be wrong, no, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, the studio definitely works in um, digital animation and it looks to me, it definitely looks to me that there's digital animation overlay there. What it looks to me like, I mean, I used to work in something really... uh, arcade, not arcade, well, it, it, it was called Flash Animation, which was something that was developed just for internet, really, and then people worked out how to make TV series out of it. So I was making things for the ABC using Flash, which we would get animated in Malaysian studios really cheaply. Um, and what you would have is a Leica, so you would do your hand-drawn illustration sketches to map out the story, like a storyboard, but it's like a moving storyboard. And then over the top, once that's approved, over the top of it, you would animate with the flash. And it looks to me like it's a combination of those things. Like it's like they've left the Leica in there. They haven't. It's part of the mm. the animation. But Aesthetic. it's definitely, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely a studio that combines modern animation techniques with traditional hand-drawn artistry. I don't believe that like they've, it's not done in the old Disney style, that's for sure, where it's like mm. every frame is hand-drawn over yeah, okay. a, you know, it, like a flicker book, you know. It's, mm. it's, it's definitely a combination. That makes me love it even more, <laughs> just yeah. knowing that. It's actually. so progressive, yeah. yeah, and it just shows that you can use these older techniques and bring them into um, the, the modern age uh, mm. in a really effective way. But it's just there's a lot to talk about this film on, uh, you know, on so, so many levels and I just, yeah, I was really, um, I, I was really blown away by it too. Mm. Yeah, I was surprisingly like you, Flick. I was surprisingly emotionally involved in it. Um, it's I, for me, it was this fable about humanity's responsibility to not only protect the environment and the critters in it, but to realise that we are just very much another species of critters sharing this precious ball of dirt. You know, <laughs> like man often thinks of themselves, like you know, humanity often thinks of themselves as being above animals, a species apart, and it's like no, no. We're all part of the same thing. But did you feel that it was also – I got that too, Paul, but I felt like it was also about – as man versus wild, but um, there was like an oppression of women and I felt that uh, it was like man versus women a little bit as well. Mm. Was that just because it's coming through my my eyes? I (laughs) don't know. (laughs) I think think there's definitely something where you were talking about sort of the matriarchy and thing going on there. I think that's definitely there. Um, Like the world – you know, we never see a man – in the world outside of, you know, the the the, the town, mm-hmm. like in the in the in the wild, it's always you know eventually um, you know a character, but uh, but other than that, yeah, it's it's all women. I think the the voice work is lovely. The strong characterize yeah, the characterizations are really strong. Um, I think Robin and and Maeve are really really like scrappy and 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 forthright and adorable and are really easy to open your heart to those characters like yeah and even and robin's relationship with her dad as well is i i do get frustrated by films when characters won't listen to one another it really annoys me i don't know <laughs> if it's just too close to the real world but that really it's like just listen but 
I, I felt genuine love between those two characters yeah. and and that there was this genuine sense of protection and it wasn't yeah. like, oh, you're a woman, you can't handle it. It was never that. It was all just like, I just want to keep you safe because yeah. there's this tyrant that's, you know, <laughs> that will kill a person at a moment's notice. Also, just having Sean Bean del- deliver those lines, I was just like felt instantly reassured. <laughs> well, you, it, it, it sort of harkens back to Game of Thrones in totally. that in, like in that sense, doesn't it? Because it's a similar era in time and, um, yeah, he plays the father figure. So, so he, he played, we should say, he played Ned Stark in um, in Game of Thrones and, yeah, it is reassuring. Yeah, it's it's true, Paul. I, I did feel that connection between those characters and, mm. well, and there's a lovely exchange where she says to him, but and you can see that he's sort of caught in a bind because there's this yes. Oliver, Oliver Cromwell kind of figure um, residing over the town. He's called the Protector, which I think mm. Oliver Cromwell had a similar moniker, mm. didn't he? The and Lord Protector. Yeah. Lord Protector, who, yeah. who really, you know, anytime anyone steps out of line, they're punished. She's not really much of a protector, um, more of a conqueror. Um, and he, she sort of says to him, you know, why do, why do we have to do what we're told and... Um, and he says, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid yeah. that one day when I'm gone, you're not going to be safe and you'll end up in a cage. And she says, but I already am in a cage. Mm. And she's she's a scullery maid, essentially. Mm. And and that's where I what I'm talking about with this sort of themes of um, women, female entrapment. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I definitely saw that. I'm actually, interestingly enough, just on the um, character of the – is it Lord Protector in the – yeah – he is actually quite complex as well. You know, like so often we see in kids' films where the villain is not given much of a, a sort of reasoning behind why they're why they're acting the way they are. And I think that even the father figure who sometimes, you know, you can see why she gets frustrated, his thinking behind that is given context and also with the Lord Protector. You get that as mm. well where he's like, no, but this is the word of God and this is what we're going to follow. That's right. They believe, so, he believes it's yeah. his truth. Yeah, 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 yeah that's his truth. He's not one-dimensional. And it, and the fact that her being sent to be a scullery maid is also terrible for the dad. Like the dad's going, no, mm. this like he's instantly like, this is not. No, this is what we have to do. But there's a part of him that kind of dies a bit because he's tried to protect her from that. Yeah, yeah, you know? he, yeah. He did offer her. He offers her freedoms. And in the start of the film, mm. you see her following her father, who's mm. a hunter, into the woods, and she wants to be a hunter, and she yeah. can wield a bow and arrow, and why not? You know. Uh, and then she's told, no, no, your your place in this world is in the kitchen, is scrubbing a floor. But he understands that tension for her because, Mm. you know, that bit where there's a scene, lovely scene when he comes home and she's meant to have cleaned the house and she's just been doing target practice and he delights in it. I think there's a lot of pride there. Yeah, I think he absolutely encourages it, (laughs) but he knows that the wider world isn't going to allow that for her and that's the sadness and the dichotomy. Yeah, look, it's surprisingly complex for this kind of film. Um, Yeah, I, I, I had a... Yeah, I thought it was really lovely. Um, so Wolfwalkers is currently screening online as part of the Irish Film Festival until Sunday, September 12. Just head to irishfilmfestival.com.au to buy tickets and view the film. And it's worth mentioning that every film in the program screens with a bonus Q&A with the filmmakers. So you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Lisa Kovacevic, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Tonight, we are focusing on a selection of films screening online as part of the 7th Annual Irish Film Festival of Australia. Now, please join us for our second film of the evening. Just a quick language warning on this one, but (laughs) hey, they're Irish lads, so what do you expect? 
<laughs> Haven't you guys got anything better to do? Nope. No, we don't. This land belongs to Avertag. He drain people's blood and drink it like water. Like Dracula. Fuck Dracula. I'd love to know if there's actually anything under there. We'll find out soon enough. Boys from County Hell is the second feature film from writer-director Chris Bohr. When they disturb a pile of carefully laid stones on a work site being paved for a new highway, a crew of hardy road workers, led by a bickering father and son, must survive the night when they accidentally awaken an ancient Irish vampire. But this is nothing like Dracula. And nothing local town legend Bram Stoker wrote will be able to prepare them for the threat they face. Lisa... Did this revisionist rural revenant stoker your interest? <laughs> oh dear! Oh, look, I love a dro- dreary rural Irish yarn <laughs> as much as the next gal. <laughs> um, but you know, I was very much uh, excited for the vampires and you know lack of Catholic priests to come and sort of disrupt that. Um, you know, that narrative, which, you know, I've seen a lot of those sort of Irish films, you know, that are, you know, there's not much to do in this little here town and not many prospects for the people that live there. Um, but this just, I mean, I think the most charismatic in, thing in this film was that pile of rocks, the cairn. Yes. <laughs> I, really, I really did because I just was like, what? I, I don't know. I was expecting, I think when, you know, it's sort of the, the film sort of um, – you know, it promised all the archetypes of a, of a you know, a vampire movie. Um, and I think when you do that, you kind of have to do something a little bit surprising now, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be like in a self-conscious scream kind of way. But I was thinking maybe something along the lines of Shaun of the Dead or something that was, you know, it looked, it, it's a comedy or it builds itself as a comedy. And I didn't really laugh. Um, it just didn't, it just didn't deliver for me. I just, I have very little to say about it. It just sort of, <laughs> played the one note the whole the whole film I think um if it, if you're going to do a, a comedy in this genre then you need to have characters that are funny and colorful and memorable I can barely remember any of them I don't think I remember any of their names I, I just found it like yeah Irish drudgery <laughs> in, yes. in rural Ireland I just didn't get much from it at all I just yeah, wow. I, I wasn't scared I wasn't I just it didn't no emotion for me I was like <laughs> The Walking Dead watching this, <laughs> or The Sleeping Dead watching this film. I just, the yeah, Sleeping I, I feel terrible. I don't have a, yeah, I don't, just don't have a lot to contribute on this one. What I, do you think? Well, I, I kind of disagree slightly with the characters because I actually do think the characters I thought had a very believable friendship and kind of, um, you know, you got the sense that they've known each other since childhood. You know, even the people in the town, there was a lot of kind of like conversations and stuff like that, which speaks to a longer history. So I actually thought the characters themselves were well drawn and acted. Um, and I thought that each of the actors committed to it. Actually, I'll give you that. The, com- yeah. the actors were good, but yeah. there's only one female character, really, yeah. and she was very good. She was it. great. Yeah, she, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I actually liked the two boys. And <clears throat> I, I do have to say that, like, the opening 
really grabbed me. I think it's got a great opening to this film. Um, it's basically an elderly couple sitting and watching TV. And they, it does have that kind of dreary start of like the boredom. They're watching TV. Mm. They're not really talking to each other. And then they both start profusing, um, prof- <laughs> bleeding profusely mm. from their eyes and mouth and nose mm. and stuff like that. So I just thought like as far as gore goes, I was like, this is wonderful. Mm. And the soundtrack I feel like taps into that kind of like, um, you know, kind of like pub band vibe to it and set in Ireland. I don't know. I loved all the setup. I mm-hmm. was just like so on board with this film and I remember just thinking I loved the fact that they used um, the font for the opening scene, like all the opening credits. I was like, oh, this speaks to like a much older film. Um, mm-hmm. It brought like real 70s vibe. And so I had so like pretty high hopes. I didn't know anything about this film coming into it, but like the opening, I was like, you got me. Um, I kind of agree with you though, Lisa, in the, sa- in the fact that I feel like I wanted it to go somewhere and it does. It is kind of like stays at one note, particularly by the time there is, um, <laughs> I don't know how much spoiler to give away, but yeah, basically from when the big action happens, it stays at that level for the entire rest of the film. And I think that is a real flaw because one of the things you really want to play around with, with that, particularly with the genre where you've got um, comedy and horror is to kind of mix up those genres and those genre expectations. And that's what makes Shaun of the Dead such a great film because it knows those genre conventions, so it hits them off, but it puts this wonderful twist. And the fact that they've got this excess of genre conventions is precisely what makes it funny. Yeah. So they they lean into it. And I think this film could have actually gone more in that direction and it still would have been original and it wouldn't have been a rip-off of Shaun of the Dead. I think it occupies a really different space, but it could have had that same sharpness of of filmmaking. Um, And I think it's just it gets it's kind of has a bit of a um, maybe like a debut film feel to it where it's like okay this person's maybe testing out some ideas they're drawing upon uh, certain conventions and stuff like that but they don't necessarily claim that space Um, it's a shame though because it's got potential I I do want to like this film more than I did I suppose is what I want to say me too like I I liked the setting like you say the setup is okay it just it didn't take off at all but um but I think that's interesting too what you say about uh Shaun of the Dead I think where that film succeeds too that film is a parable like a lot of good zombie movies or um vampire movies they should speak to the time Mm. And Shaun of the Dead is it was was talking about the drudgery of modern life, like the office worker is yeah. already a living is a living zombie. You know, we <laughs> totally, are zombies. Totally. So, so that opening scene of the two the elderly couples bleeding from the eyes, from orifices, yeah. from the eyes and the mouth. I thought, oh, this is interesting. This is going to be maybe about how we're all stuck at home watching Netflix. Or, but there was no. I didn't feel that there was any subtext of any substance there. You yeah. know, like they could have gone and they could have gone, gone there. there. <laughs> yeah, it just and, so it was like, what was the point of that? It yeah. was just I don't know. And especially that whole like sleepy town like something real fucking hectic happens in a sleepy town, that in itself is a great story. And then to be like nothing ever happens here and you've got one of the main characters who wants to move to Australia where there's like poisonous snakes and spiders. Mm. So you kind of have that, you know, there was an obvious sort of way that you could have, they could have tied that a bit, you know, sharper, I suppose. I think they just need to tighten up this film and maybe think through where it was going to go. Um, I, I don't feel like I, I hated it as much as you though, Lisa. I feel mm. like I, I, I did enjoy watching it. I think just towards the second half particularly, I was a bit like, oh, come on, wrap it up. I yep. still thought there was some funny moments. There was like a few bits where they did lean into like, wait, isn't there, aren't they meant to do this? And then it doesn't happen. I kind of thought some of those bits worked well. Um, how about you, Paul? I'm much more on Team Flick than Team Lisa for this one. Mm. I I thought a lot of this was actually really novel. I've never seen this kind of vampire before. Like the fact that it's so like every traditional way they try to kill it, it won't die. And it's 
and even the end, I mean, I, yeah, we can't go into spoilers, but there's, yeah, I was surprised at the fact that it was like, oh, okay, so it's that. All right. Um, I thought I liked the partly uh, the s- sort of affectionate, very Irish fu to Bram Stoker as well throughout the film. This sort of thing is like, yeah, he's our local boy, but screw you, we're more than that. <laughs> I like that. Um, I think it's got a little style to it. I love the. I love. I mean, it took an age to see the vamp, but I liked the look of it once we got it. Um, I think there's a lot of. I I found the cast quite likable, and I. I liked the wisecracks, in particular the father. He cracked like there were a couple of times the father came up with something and made me laugh out loud. Like there's there's one moment when when uh, the vamp like the old guy the, one, the little old guy is kind of a vampire and kind of running around. They're like he ran by you and the girl's trying to figure out. She's like he ran by you like a like a if, yeah it was fast. He ran by like a like a and the father the father <laughs> jumps in like a sea bomb. <laughs> the, and, the use of the c word through this film was a bit of a delight for me mm, personally yeah. <laughs> that's true and it's just like only an irish person would say that like, like a, mm. um, and yeah like there were a couple of moments and just how like like completely cantankerous he was he was he was the um his the actor's name is nigel o'neill but he's the mvp for me um yeah so i i did enjoy it but i do and I thought for me it was a kind of a thing about the need for the march of progress to at least recognise and respect the past. You know, like if, you, if you're going to bulldoze something, like just figure out what you're bulldozing, what it means, and maybe figure out another way. You know, it's this sort of thing. It's like, okay, if progress has to happen, then at least reconcile yourself with the history and, 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 and the past of this town. I do agree with you, though, Flick. It was weirdly overlong for an 89-minute yeah. movie. Like, mm. it's under an hour and a half and it felt like it was 15 minutes too long. Yeah. Like, there was the... I had breaks. <laughs> so did I. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I fell asleep and had to watch the, the that bit the next day because it was just like... you still liked it? You fell asleep during it? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Flick, I'm old. I fall asleep during a lot of things. I fell asleep during the Seventh Seal a couple of months ago, and that is like the greatest Bergman film ever made. I, it's if I don't start a film b- before nine o'clock, I'm out. Yeah, I'm a bit with you on that one. Um, but yeah, no, but I didn't. Yeah, so I didn't love it. I I did enjoy it, but I didn't love it because yeah, yeah I think it is. I think it's got a real second act problem in terms of spinning its wheels yeah. a bit. Um, and there's some script and character moments that really would have done with a tune up, like. Like, I, the, like the first guy that dies, they don't seem particularly broken up about it. Like his parents do, yeah, for, for reasons. But his friends are just like, oh, this is, oh, that's sad. Okay, also, he was such, but, he was such a babe, and I was like, what? They get rid of him straight <laughs> up? I know there was no eye candy left. Um, it's, it's true. I, yeah, I, that's what I felt with all the characters. I didn't care about any of them though, so I didn't really care when he was sacrificed. Yeah. I didn't really, I just wasn't a, I didn't get, I don't feel like I got to know any of them really. They were just, they each needed a bit more personality for yeah. me. Um, but I, I agree. A bit more development. Yeah, a bit I more think. development, yeah. definitely. Um, I, I agree with you too, Paul, on um, like the symbolism of bulldozing the cairn. And it, it, for those that don't know, a cairn's like a, an ancient pile of rocks, basically. You'll find them in Scotland and Ireland. Um, and, you know, the crux of the film is they're going to bulldoze this cairn to make way for a freeway and 
of course, the vampires live under the cairn is the is the mythology of yeah. the area. Um, and, and, and yeah, I like the symbolism of that. But but like many things in this, it just didn't go deeper. It was yeah. just mm. so surface. Yeah. The same with um, there was potential also with uh, the the first. The, the gentleman you mentioned, the first guy to die, um, is you know becomes an un, you know a vampire. Essentially, can I say a vampire? Sorry, there lots of spoilers. Oh, hell. I, haven't, I haven't done this Lisa. in a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're but, killing me. But he, um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he um, he ends up sort of um, being kept you know, alive by, by by someone that can't let go of him. And there's, like, the potential there to explore, uh, I thought, anyway, I thought, oh, this kind of reminds me of, of an addict, of, mm. like, a parent who's trying to um, deal with a, a child mm. who's an addict and trying to help them, you know, get off it. And, and I thought, that that's interesting. Maybe we're going there. But we didn't. No. We just didn't go anywhere. Or, or even on the base level of grief. You no, know? like Not being right. able to, yeah, I think that there's so many things that could be explored. And I suppose that's why I give it a slightly more positive review is that I'm like, I see potential in this yeah. film and I hope when, you know, maybe this crew, they seem like they got along really well. It would be great if they made a second film where they kind of maybe worked through those things a bit more. Yeah. And mm. could be a really strong, you know, this is some ideas and, there. And I like that it was sort of fun and grisly and not like a dreary, you know, like I, I think this whole elevated horror thing, I'm using that in inverted commas, can lead to a lot of dreary horror films and I feel like that this is actually is a lot of fun, but I do agree. I agree with, yeah, uh, with you both in that it has pacing and, and character development yeah, issues and, sure. and and is very surface. But but I still, yeah, I don't know. If if, if you like Irish people, like, razzing each other, I, <laughs> you'll enjoy I was, it. I was going to say, say Irish people, like Irish stop. people. <laughs> <laughs> you'll love this film. <laughs> love Irish people. Um, yeah, that's your problem, Lisa. You just don't like Irish people. <laughs> Friends who happen to be Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so, Boys from County Hell is currently screening online as part of the Irish Film Festival until Sunday, September 12. Just head to irishfilmfestival.com.au to grab your tickets. And every session has a QA with the filmmakers. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Lisa Kovacevic, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So what we're looking at is an astrocytoma tumor. It's one of the largest tumors I've ever seen. But if you need help with it, I'm all I do know people. I'll be okay. I have an old shack by the sea. It's been years. What are we doing here? Me? I'm reflecting on my life. You? I have no idea. Death of a Ladies' Man is the fourth feature film from writer-director Matt Bissonnette. Gabriel Byrne plays poetry professor, exuberant womanizer, and enthusiastic drinker Samuel O'Shea, whose second marriage is ending. His ex-wife and children are at their wits' end, and now, to add insult to injury, he has begun having visions of strangers singing and dancing to Leonard Cohen tunes, Frankenstein's monster at his local pub, and his father, who died when he was just a boy, suddenly popping up for chats. Uh, somewhere between the drink and a brain tumour, Samuel decides to take stock of what's left of his life and write the novel he's always dreamed about, but a new love might change everything. Flick, did this have you singing songs of love or hate? <laughs> Definitely hate. Um, <laughs> no, I look, I, look, we've only got a short amount of time. I really dislike this film. Um, <laughs> 
meant on the show, not in life. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I wanted to like this. When you read it out, I'm like, yes, I bloody love Leonard Cohen. I woke up, I woke up, I grew up listening to Leonard Cohen. My mum's obsessed with him. I feel like his songs have so much depth and complexity. And I, reading what this film was going to be about, I was like, yeah, I want to see this. I love Gabrielle Byrne. I was like, everything about this, I was like, fascinating. And I love mm. this idea of the dance coming into it. But I just, I found myself frustrated with this film. I was tired of him as a character. I felt like things were thrown in for effect, like really serious things like addiction, about, you know, a divorce, about all these different things that are very, you know, and even the fact that he's, you know, he's got this diagnosis. And it's there's all such weighty subjects and the film just remains at this kind of, Distance? Distance, mm. yeah. And it just, like, it's fine for it to go into those theatrical moments and I think that's fascinating to explore and I love it in a cinematic sense. I think that would, you know, in theory would look really beautiful on the page but because it's not anchored to these people are going through this and I think that if he, in films like The Father that we reviewed at oh, the start of the year. I was going to say the same, yeah, yeah. where they create a sense of, of confusion where you're like, what reality? But everyone plays along and I think that just that repetition of showing this old man chatting up very young women. I don't know. I was just a bit over it. Um, I don't think it played into what it could have been. And I, I it's a shame because there's so much depth there and so much material. But I, I don't know. I just felt I was annoyed with him as a character. I didn't believe any of the relationships. I didn't believe his family. It just seemed written out of I don't know. It, it just wasn't believable to me on any level. I totally agree. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned The Father. That must have been the five months ago that I was yeah. here, Paul. It I, was. I remember reviewing <laughs> that. Um, but that film, that film's about um, somebody losing their mind to, yeah. d- to, d- to dementia and what it so effectively does is it puts you, the viewer, you, the audience, in the place of the protagonist yeah. who's slowly losing their mind and it's it played out like a horror film, a very good one. Yeah, it was disorientating. It was terrifying. You felt like you were being gaslit because you're like who is this person wasn't that my daughter I thought that was my you know there's confusion and it's um it was so masterfully done and so interior yeah um Samuel's like never challenged is he like he's he's never never challenged now but he's like he makes having a brain tumor look pleasurable yeah like every hallucination is just got this light touch and it's um and also the symbolism of those hallucinations just seemed uh I don't know if they were beyond me. Some of them made sense. Like there was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and he wants to, you know, he's a, he's a uh, professor of literature. So I understand, yeah. you know, when death comes knocking, maybe, you, you know, you, you converse with your literary heroes at the pub perhaps. But there are other, others like a bodybuilding woman with a tiger's head who, you know, is a, a waitress at a restaurant. I was just, I, I said that the symbolism was lost on me yeah. and it was, it just mm-hmm. didn't play well. And I don't think that this actually, to me, didn't feel cinematic at all, Flick. It felt no, no, like... No, no, I'm saying on paper, on paper it could be, it could be, it could be sure, cinematic. Sure, sure. <laughs> because hearing Paul describe it, I was like, great, I want to see that film. <laughs> yeah, it sounded good, but it felt more like a play to me. It mm. was just, um, the, the camera was so at a distance mm. all the time. Even a scene that should have been really beautiful, and some people will say that it was is the there's a scene of um 
Canadian hockey players. Um, also, can I just say, yeah. as a co-production of Canada and Ireland, Ireland, of course they have to have ice hockey. I know. It was, yeah, there was so <laughs> many. Wedged into everything. it. There was a lot of cliche, actually, yeah. Um, that, that, that scene, there's, there's Canadian hockey players and in his hallucination they, they are doing, um, what do you call that? The ice skating. Yeah. A, a beautiful ice skating piece. But the camera doesn't go near them, really. It's so at a distance. I was like, oh, you, you could have got some emotion out of this, but yeah. you just don't. You don't go there and there was, yeah, it just, it just aesthetically stayed at this sort of, yeah, distant place that didn't, um, I didn't, it didn't, it wasn't worthy of cinema. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah, I do. it doesn't do. belong on the screen or something. Yeah, yeah. It was strange. And yeah, and the Gabriel Byrne did a, a fair job of the character, but it was just written so, I don't know, horribly. Like he, he was just a, and it says Death of a Ladies Man. I get that it's from a Leonard Cohen album yeah, yeah. title. Which um, in itself was a bit controversial because it was a real break from his other work. So it's kind of, I thought that, you know, I was expecting it to be different. I just think that they didn't pull it off. No, and there's no really, there's no reckoning for him having been a ladies man either. Like there was no death to that, was there? Well, yeah, he keeps he keeps it up. <laughs> he just keeps going. Yeah, even yeah. there's a there's a sort of um, supposed twist in this film, but it's not. You see it coming, and uh, I just yeah, it, it lets you down. <laughs> what did you, you think? Paul? You saw it coming. I did, found did. it completely pointless. Um, yeah. <laughs> this aims to be a musical, a whimsical treatise on life, love, family, and regret, inspired by Cohen. It winds up resembling an Irish Canadian remake of Ally McBeal, like. <laughs> It just felt like, like, but instead of into Barry White, she's into Leonard Cohen. Like, Mm, far less ability to navigate. Like, it's tone, like, has no idea how to navigate tone. Uh, What you were saying earlier, I think we're left with incidents that are just like, what, like, wildly disconnected. Like, everything just seems like a bunch of stuff that happens. It does. Like, like one scene doesn't seem to call or respond to the other one. Um, uh, It's this damp paper chain of a plot. Um, leading towards this blunt conclusion that's as silly and overly dramatic as it is, considering the lead's character's condition completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like that, in fact, that character of that young man, like you follow him through the film, like that's a perfect metaphor for the film. Like from scene to scene, that character makes no sense. And it's like, it's, it's like he goes from one thing to something, something. And there's a scene where, Gabriel Byrne meets him in a club and it's like, oh, why is Gabriel Byrne in this saying. club? Mm, There's yeah. no reason for him being here. Yeah. 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 We're it's, talking about his, his, uh, the lead character's uh, daughter's partner. Yeah. Um, I, I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a, trying to be like not spoilery. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's, it's that, yeah, that character is just like this baffling and, it, but it, but it completely encapsulates the film. I think, I think the cast do their best. I think, I think Gabriel Byrne, I think um, uh, Brian Gleeson, who plays his late dad, uh, Jessica Perret, who plays the young woman he meets, and Suzanne Clement, playing his ex-wife, they're all great actors and I think they all give it, I think they all give it their best. They're always watchable. Mm. And the music's good, even if what's going on behind it is frequently exasperating, as you said, Flick. I, yeah. yeah, I just found him tiresome. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, so if you want to jump into a tiresome death of a ladies' man, it's currently screening online as part of the Irish Film Festival until Sunday, September 12. Just head to irishfilmfestival.com.au to buy tickets. Now... You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Lisa Kovacevic, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. 
We shone a spotlight on three of the 12 films screening online as part of the Irish Film Festival of Australia. Wolf Walkers, Boys from County Hell and Death of a Ladies Man, all screening online at irishfilmfestival.com.au until Sunday, September 12. So huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, King Carl Chapman for panelling the show and providing <laughs> producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 